The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. If you would, take your Bibles out this morning and turn to Acts chapter 4. If you've noticed, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, we've changed our order up a little bit today. How many of you recognized it rained last night? Uh, Some folks can't get here this morning, and some folks are here this morning because they couldn't get to work. (laughs) And uh, I know how that is, and I'm actually supposed to be at work, so I have a a good Christian boss, and he uh, he understands. We've been on the phone together since uh, about 4.30 this morning, and uh, he said, I know you've got church this morning, so as soon as you can, can you head this way? So he's, uh, he's allowing me to be here. That doesn't always work that way. So uh, we kind of shortened our service a little bit this morning, or we gave me more time to preach. So I'm not sure how that's going to work out. But we've been talking uh, over the last uh, month or two about joy and happiness and different things along those lines, and uh, uh, we went over and over and over about joy, and then I got to thinking about what, what are some things that kill our joy, uh, some things that, that keep us from being joyful in the Lord, and uh, it's, there's a lot in the Bible, and there's about five things that we're going to cover, and uh, in Acts chapter 4... Uh, in Acts chapter 5, we're going to look at a couple of things that, that talk about joy, but there's a lot of things that rob our joy. Have you ever, uh, uh, for instance, you wake up in the morning, you've got to go to the bathroom, and uh, you look at the clock, and it's 10 minutes before your alarm was going to go off. It, don't that just still rob your joy when you realize you lost that 10 minutes of sleep? Does, do any of y'all set your clock fast or slow? And then when your alarm goes off, you have to look at it and you know it's not right. Why do you do that? That just drives me up the wall. I'll wake up at night and uh, look at, we have one alarm clock. I use my phone and Denise has an alarm clock. And I look up and the time's always wrong, so I have to add time to it. Now, isn't that ridiculous? But some of y'all are saying, yeah, we do that too. Why? It's, it's because something in our mind tells us we're getting a little more sleep that way or something. I'm not sure what, what it is. But uh, those are just some, some silly things that may rob our joy. But the Bible has some specific things that talk about stealing our joy. And, and last week we talked about doubt. And, uh, you know, if we, if we live a life of doubt about who God is, the existence of God, if we live a life about doubt of our salvation, uh, if, if we live a, a life about doubting that God has a plan for us, we are not going to have a life of joy because we're always wandering and, and it's like a roller coaster ride. Today we're on the, the top of the mountain and we're saying, oh, I, I have this joy. And, and we sometimes confuse that with happiness, which is simply an emotion. And, and then circumstances change and we go from the top down to the bottom and we, we lose that joy. And if we can come to a point in our life spiritually where we can bury the doubts, we can move on in the life that God wants us to have. And I, I remind you over and over and over that, that Christ says, I have come that you would have joy. That was His purpose. He came for salvation. He came for eternal life. And if you think about that, that is the ultimate joy, isn't it? To know that we never face death. Now, we're going we're gonna to die one day, but the Bible speaks of death, of that second death. 
And it says when we're a born-again Christian, we'll never face that death. And we have an ultimate joy in that. So what kills that joy? And of course, doubt is one thing. And this morning, I'm going to talk about some things. And this may, this may get on your pew a little bit, because it did mine. And, and we're going to talk about selfishness, because I believe selfishness is definitely a joy killer. And I think when we get into this a little farther, and I'll give you some examples, I think you'll see that also. So what do I mean by selfishness? The definition of selfishness is is thinking of one's own well-being alone. That's it. And that's kind of the definition. Here are some examples of selfishness. Sometimes it's my way or the highway. Well, if you're a supervisor, sometimes that's the way it has to be, but uh, sometimes in life, that's, that's not the best way to be. I mean, that's, that's kind of selfishness. Or, or what about if you go out on a date with someone, and all they do, or all you do, is talk about yourself? You know, I, I, I refer to this song several times. I don't even know the name of it. I don't know who sings it, but, but he says, I want to talk about me, and, and uh, uh, I want to talk about you. And, and whoever he's talking about in this song says, it's always me, my, I, you know. And, and, and uh, every now and then, let the conversation go away from you. I mean, that's kind of a definition of selfishness. Or, or here's a good one, lying so we can stay out of trouble ourselves. You know, there's sometimes we just have to own up and say, hey, it, it was me, but... but Often we point the blame towards someone else or we try to, we try to cover up uh, what our deal was and, and shine the light brighter. So, so that's kind of selfish to see that definition there, thinking or acting of one's own well-being alone. Maybe making big decisions without consulting a parent or consulting a spouse because, hey, this is the way I want it and this is the way it's going to be. And So all of those things kind of come with selfishness. And I want, if you would, to look in Acts this morning. And we're going to look at several verses, but we're going to start in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we see a story written by Luke, and uh, he's the writer of Acts. And he gives an account of Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias, uh, we see here, were with other believers, and they... They were all doing good deeds. They had all come together. This is kind of the picture of the first church. And there's a big body of believers there. And so what happens is when we begin to see this, Ananias gets a little bit jealous because he's looking around and what everybody else is doing. So he devises a plan and he, he brings his wife into this plan also. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We have some property that we want to sell. And when we do that, we're going we're gonna to give this money to those in need. That's a great plan. But as we begin to see this, something happens in this passage, and, and they lie about what happened. Why did they do that? Because of selfishness. And when that happens, Peter confronts them, and he says, you, do you realize you've not lied to men, but you've lied to God? And, and Ananias just drops dead right at the altar. That's what the Bible says. A little bit later, uh, about three hours, his wife comes in. They begin to question her, and she drops dead at the altar. Let's look at that. This is Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Let's back up a little bit. Joseph, this is verse 36 in chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
Now a man named Ananias, uh, uh, Ananias with his wife Sapphira also sold some property. So that kind of follows through. They've looked. They saw what some of the other apostles are doing. Here we have Joseph. They, they gave him a nickname, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, but it means a son of encouragement. So they said, okay, let's do that. So they sold this piece of property. Now this morning, I don't want you to tune out and think, well, I know where he's headed with this because I don't think you do. We're not talking about giving, and we're not talking about the amount given. We're talking about what took place in this story. So what, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and put it to the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Look at verse 4. I think this is a key to understanding this passage. Peter says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? What Peter's saying is, hey, Ananias, it was already yours. I mean, it was yours to do with what you wanted to. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? I mean, it was yours anyway. I mean, it was all yours. Now look at what he follows up. What made you do or what made you think of doing such a thing that you have done? You have not lied to God. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell and died. And a great fear seized all that who had heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped his body up, and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Sure, she said. At that price? Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell at his feet and died. And the young men came in, finding her dead, and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Well, when we read this story, uh, we begin to look at some things, and, and man, we can say, wow, boy, that, that is quite a story. And I want us to understand the meaning of this and, and, and what selfishness does. Selfishness leads us to do whatever it takes to look out for number one. Now again, I want you to to understand, I'm not talking about selling a house and giving the money to the apostles. That's not the message at all. The message this morning is simply thinking about selfishness, and in this case, selfishness even caused this couple to lie to God. Why did they do that? Because they were looking out for number one. They said, hey, we're the most important thing today, and, and, and I'll even lie to God about that. We'll lie, we pout, manipulate someone else to sort the truth. Sometimes when selfishness comes, that's, that's what we do to get our own way. And, and this is a great picture of that. And, and God doesn't honor a life like that. And a life like that doesn't please God. And, and we need to understand when, when God says, I've come that you'd have life, that you'd have it abundantly, that your joy would be full, that your joy would be complete. He's wanting to, to, to give us that type of life and that joy in life, but He doesn't honor that selfish lifestyle. And, and if, if you don't believe that, just go back and read chapter 5, 1 through 10 several times till that, till that light comes on that, hey, God, God doesn't honor that. So, so if, if we see that, let's, let's back up now to verse 32 in chapter 4. 
Chapter 4, verse 32 of Acts. Now all the believers were in one in heart and one in mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon all them. And there was no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned lands or fields sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as they had a need. And then we read this, verse 36, And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field, and he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Well, let's look at the difference there between the selfish believer and the unselfish believer. And, and we have that picture of here. And, and you ha- see how unselfish those first believers were? I mean, I think we just, we just tippy-toe around this sometimes because we look at this first church and we say, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, people's talking about selling houses and selling lands and all of that. Man, Jake, I'm out of here. You've got to be out of your mind. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. What we're talking about is the difference between understanding it's no longer I, but it's we. We talk in this church about being brothers and sisters in Christ. Our family of God. We're we're a family together, and it's no longer I, but it's we as a family of God. And, And when we look at this first church, that's the picture we see. We see the picture of a family. We see a picture of brothers and sisters in Christ, and those brothers and sisters in Christ are meeting the needs of one another. So the difference we see is, is I and we. And, and listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and who was raised again. You see that picture that Christ is painting for us? It says no longer are we live a, a selfish lifestyle. We're, we're to live for those for not for themselves, but those for whom he died for and was raised again for. So the first thing we need to, to see is, is selfishness and understand that that's, that we're not the only ones who, who are on this planet, that there's others there. And Christ says, you know, we need to understand as believers that verse 32 says, they had all the believers and they were of one heart and they were of one mind. So we're talking about joy this morning. We're talking about what robs us of our joy. So we see here the they knew their purpose. They knew that God had touched their lives. And because He had touched their lives, it made a difference. Now, here's the key. I think the key as we read this passage is this. No one forced any of these believers to give. You don't see a commandment anywhere that says, hey, you should give, you should, you, you, you should go sell lands, you should go sell what you have, you should give to the, the... We see here that the believers came together, they had one focus, they had one purpose, and they had one another in mind. And, and when we look at this, as Christians, we should look for opportunities to be unselfish. Why should we do that? Because we find joy in that. Now, if you don't believe that, let me give you an example of something that we just came through at this church. We just did a, a, a little ministry called Student Outfitters. Didn't you have fun doing that? 
Wasn't that a joy? Wasn't it a joy to go to the store and, and to buy some clothes and to buy a backpack? And then wasn't it a joy to come and, and pack those things up and, and look at the clothes and realize, hey, some student is going to go to school next week. They're going to open their backpack. They're going to have a new set of clothes, new set of shoes, and uh, several different things in there, school supplies and, and all of those things. Why did we do that? We did that to, re, to, to minister to students. But what did we get out of that? We got joy out of that. If you didn't get joy out of that, maybe you weren't a part of it. And the thing about it is this year we were amazed because we had, we had several students and, and uh, Gwendolyn said, hey, the, the Methodist church, they took X number of, of packets and, and we ran out. And there were other churches in the community saying, hey, we want to be a part of this. And we had to say, well, I'm sorry, we're out of... We, all our needs have been met this year. Why was churches doing that? Because they had a, that desire within them to, to, to find joy by serving others. So when we think about joy stealers, when we think about the selfishness, when we hold things to ourselves, we miss out on the joy of meeting the needs of others. <laughs> That's part of what Christ's joy is in us. We, we don't need to get the ideal that, that we have a God looking up there that's keeping a record book of this is what you've given, this is how much time you've given, this is, this is the dates you were there, and this is the things you've done. We need to say, hey, because I'm a, I'm a born-again Christian, I have a family of believers, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to minister, I, I want to share that joy with others. I think sometimes we, we get that ideal that, that, that God's keeping a tab on us somewhere. Listen to, what, listen to what Peter said again. Didn't it all belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't it all at your disposal? You hear what Peter's saying to them? Peter's saying, hey, you didn't have to give. You didn't have to bring it to the altar. Wasn't it yours? It was your land. It was your money. You didn't have to do those things. Yet you chose to lie to the Holy Spirit. That couple fallen dead had nothing to do with what they gave or why they gave. They died because they lied to the Holy Spirit of God. They said, hey, we want everybody in this congregation to think, hey, we're doing just like this encourager. We're doing just like Joseph is doing. But inside there was that selfishness that said, we'll tell everybody we're doing this. But we're actually not going to follow through. Because of that, they didn't have the joy of being an encourager and the joy of giving. So see, it has nothing to do with what was sold or what was given. It had something to do with lying to the Holy Spirit of God as we read this story. There was no need too big that they weren't willing to meet. Think about that. Again, this is amazing to me. They sold their field. They sold their houses. Can you imagine what kind of need a person must have had? In my mind, and, and I'll always tell you, this is my opinion... I think old Joseph, he probably had homes. He probably had several plots of land. He probably had some resources available. And, and I think he probably looked at this and said, you know, that, I've got that little spot of land over there, and it, it, doesn't, really, it doesn't really fit into my, uh, my operation very well. And, and I think I could probably sell that and help people in need with that. I mean, I, that's the picture. That's my ideal of what we see here, of, of him saying, you know what, there's a big need here. And, and because I recognize this big need, I'm gonna, I want to reach out and minister that. Think about the joy that Joseph must have felt as he was able to meet 
that big need that someone had. Maybe that maybe it was a, a large group that had a bunch of small needs, but Joseph said, hey, I've got the resources to help out with that. And, and I believe he found joy in doing that. Mother Teresa, I'm sure you've all heard of her, she said, if, if you give something that you can live without, it's probably not worth giving. Let me tell you, I did that one time. I had this thing, I can't describe it in too much detail because the person I gave it to goes to church here. So they're not here today. See, the Lord flooded them out where I could use this illustration. But uh, it was given to me by a, a person that we, were, we both loved very dearly. And uh, I got it, and, and after having it for 40 years, I decided, you know what, I really don't want this. <laughs> it's really in my way. It was in one of my drawers under all of my clothes. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to give this to them. <laughs> so I went and I said, hey, you remember this? Oh, I remember that. And I said, man, I've had this for 40 years. And uh, it, the person I got it from had written some things on there and kind of signed it, you know. And I said, I, I want you to have this. You know what they did? If that means so much to you, you just keep it. <laughs> In other words, they said, we don't want it either. You know, why are you trying to give it to us? Well, to be honest, I was just giving it away because I really didn't want it anyway. <laughs> now, that's pretty funny to me because I, I think when I left their house, they probably went, we didn't want that. He's just trying to unload it on us. I felt guilty about throwing it away. You know what i done? It's in that drawer under all them clothes still to this day. It's 50 years old now, and it's just laying there. But, but when we think about giving, no need was too big. And they didn't simply say, you know what, I don't want this, so I think I'll just go ahead and donate it. Joseph, they gave him the, the name Son of Encouragement. What a nickname. You know, think about what's in a nickname. We talked to Sunday before last on Sunday night about, about the names of God, and we're going through a series about that. And, and we started that first night with, with what are your nicknames? And this morning, if we had time, we'd, we'd, we'd just ask everybody, you have a nickname? And, and when you get somebody and you, and you understand they've got a nickname, it usually means something. It's usually, it's usually tied to something. I mean, we, we think about nicknames like Harry and Lloyd. We call some of our boys Harry and Lloyd. Y'all know the movie. If you don't know it, you don't understand it. But, but we've got a Harry and Lloyd in our family. One, no, neither one of them's here this morning, I don't think. So, uh, but, th- but that's kind of their nickname. And, and uh, we, we, have a, we have some we call a, a, a grouch or the Grinch. Or I think Mama called Daddy Scrooge every now and then. Yo, Scrooge, you just sit there in your chair, you know. And my kids may call me an old Scrooge this morning. We, we, we see the right kind of person. We call him Augustus. Does anybody know where Augustus came from? You know, the little boy in Willy Wonka that drunk the chocolate and he fell over and went up the pipe, you know. He was a pretty... He, me and him were of the same tribe, so to speak. And... and uh and so we'll say, there's Augustus, you know. And, and those nicknames mean something. And, and just to look at Joseph and, and realize the people of the church looked at him and said, you know what? He's the son of encouragement. How did he get that name? He got that name by, by saying, you know what? I, I'm not going to be a selfish person. I want to I give to others. 
So there are some things it does. It also makes a powerful witness, an effective witness for Christ. When we're one who is an encourager, when we're one who is a giver, if we look at, at verse 33 and, and it says here, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and grace was upon all of them. You know why? Why were they able to witness with power? Because look what they were doing before that. They were meeting the needs of the believers. They were going out and, and you know, we've heard that saying, don't, don't tell somebody how much, you, how much God cares for them until you, they understand you care for them. And when we, when we can come to somebody and we can see they have a need and we can begin to meet that need and we begin to see and, hey, I'm going to put some action, I'm going to put some feet behind my religion. When that begins to happen and when we begin to do away with that unselfishness, then people say, you know what? They really care for me. And because they really care for me, our witness becomes powerful. It becomes effective. And in our witnessing, we find joy. I was at a funeral a couple of weeks ago of Bo Pilgrim, and I know y'all have heard of him. That's Pat's dad. And, and while we were there, I'd heard about these tracks. And, and uh, the, the, the friend of his got up and said, uh, you know, y'all have heard about these tracks. And when we were at visitation, I seen them in a big old basket. And it was full of these little black tracks. And I just picked one up and I looked at it. It says... Good news for modern man. And I opened it, and I thought, and I throwed it back in the basket, and I said, well, that, that's nice. That must be something that folks can pick up when they come into the church service. We were at a First Baptist Church in Pittsburgh. The day of the funeral, I found out the rest of the story. I knew part of this. For years, Mr. Pilgrim would take this, and he would put money in here, and when he would go and hand these out, and this friend of his said, we would go eat at a restaurant. He would put a $20 bill in all of these, and he would give one to everybody in the restaurant. And he would say, there's something in here to help you through the day, and there's something in here that will help you to eternity. Now, think about the powerful, effective witness that he had. Why? Because he met a need. He said, not simply lip service. He said, you know what? There's something that'll help you today. And take what'll help you today and help you make it through the day. And then take this and begin to read it. And it'll help you for all eternity. When we see this picture of, of this effective church and this effective, powerful witness, that's a picture of that. They estimated that he gave away a hundred to 150,000 of these. Can you imagine the impact on eternity? Why? Because he realized for them to, to, for his ministry to be powerful, for his ministry to be effective, he needed to meet the needs of people today. And then he could make a difference in eternity. That was one man. That was, that was a, a ministry for him. You may say, well, he had the resources to do that. I don't have the resources to do something like that. Well, I say, yeah, sure we do. Because when I went to a prayer time here in Cooper, we went to the library and a man from Paris came and we were starting to pray for all our students in the school. And he said this, if you can do for one what you wish you could do for all of them, 
then that makes a huge difference in eternity. So if you say, I don't have the resources to do something that, do for one what you wish you could do for all. And, and there will be a powerful impact. And when we begin to meet the needs of people, at that point we begin to find joy. We're talking this morning about having joy. And we're saying, how can I have joy? And I believe as we look at Acts and we look at the first church and we look at the apostles and we look at the brothers and sisters in Christ, we see that they found joy in ministering, in giving, in meeting the needs of others. This morning, if you'd say, well, I struggle a little bit with that selfishness, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at Psalms 119, 36 and 37. And it says this, Turn my heart towards your statues and not towards selfish gain. This is a prayer. God, turn my heart towards your rules, your laws, and not towards selfish gain. And turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. And in Philippians 2, 3 and 4, and this is where we're going to close, Paul says this, Do not be selfish. Do not look or live to make a good impression on others, but be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. And don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in the others too and what they are doing. Now, I want you to catch something right here. We could misquote this and say, well, it says in the Bible, don't think about your own affairs, but think about others. That's not what it says. It says, don't only think about your own affairs, but think about the interests of others also. Think about their interests too. I want to challenge you today is... Uh, this coming week, would you look for an opportunity to meet one need of some person, whatever that may be? You know, if you can't think of anything else, buy somebody's groceries behind you or buy somebody's meal in the drive through line. Just, just meet some need of some person. Ask God to say, put somebody in my path this week that needs it, has a need. I want, to, I want you to test this. And if you test this, see if you don't find joy in meeting the need of someone else. Just test it. Don't take my word. You don't even have to take the word of, of Acts that we just read. But in your own time, would you test that this week and see if God doesn't give you joy? Let's bow together this morning. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity you give us. And I thank you that you've come that we would have joy, that our joy would be full, that our joy would be complete. And Father, as we read in your word and we... We see a great example of someone who, who had that selfish lifestyle that, that really was all about me and all about I and all about taking care of myself and my wants and my desires. Father, we can quickly see that's a life void of joy. It's a life of looking at things and running after things and, and simply missing out on the opportunity to minister to others, missing out on the opportunity to, to join in packing up some clothes or, or missing out on an opportunity to say, here's something for today and let me tell you something that helps for eternity. Missing out on the opportunity to say, hey, you have a need and, you know, God's blessed me with the ability to, to reach out and to meet that need today. Father, I pray that we would live a life that you've called us to live, a life of joy 
And Father, when Satan comes and he throws those things towards us that kill our joy, Father, all I want to do today is recognize that that life of selfishness so often kills the joy that you desire for us. Father, I pray this week that you would give each of us a reminder of this time this morning and also an opportunity to meet the need of someone. Not that we can brag about it next week, not that we can put our thumbs on our arms, say, look what I've done, but, Father, that we might experience the joy of meeting needs of someone you dearly love. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for each one that's here. I pray that you'd lead us, that you'd guide us and direct us in the ways that we should go this week. Lord, I lift up our, stu- our students to you this week as they start back to school. I lift up our teachers that are already working hard towards making a difference in, in our students' lives. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless our teachers, that you'd give them a, a thirst and a desire to be the best they can be. And, Father, that your light and your love would be reflected in their actions to our students this week. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.